Your Space Coast vacation is preparing for liftoff. Start counting down now. 10, 9, 8, 7, it's time for a beach vacay that feels like heaven. 6, 5, 4, come explore Melbourne and the beaches. 3, 2, 1, it's time for some rocket-filled fun. Count down to your best beach vacation ever on Florida's Space Coast. Launch your planning now at visitspacecoast.com. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs in a true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, for two years, the FBI went undercover to find corruption in the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. What was the return on their investment? Not much. We'll discuss the podcast, brokers, bagmen, and moles. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Good morning, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. I say good morning because we're having a rare Rare. This is so, yes. We've never taped in the morning, right, Kevin? No, it's early, and usually we're up late doing this, and it's a whole bunch of, so everybody can get their <laughs> I shit done. I put my done. bed hair. I haven't even brushed my hair today. I've got my pajama shirt on. Me too. I'm not even wearing a bra. I'm not even wearing a bra. I literally slept in this. <laughs> America doesn't need <laughs> to know that. I haven't brushed my teeth. I literally, I have an event tonight uh, with Robbie Chaudhry and Jason Moon about Bear Brook too, and so we had to tape this morning early, and so we're just going to muscle through it, see how goes yeah, yeah we'll see how it goes it could be awesome we don't know toby looks amazing by the way it doesn't, doesn't seem likely <laughs> <laughs> also with us is private investigator certified pet detective resident cat lady and author of the final curtain the brawless laura bricker <laughs> hello laura Hey, you know what? New Hampshire is known for the free the nipple movement. I'm just supporting those ladies. <laughs> it's true. Look it up if you don't know what we're talking about. That's right. As they say, the nipple you see is not the nipples you want to see. <laughs> There's a great article about it on <laughs> NHPR.org, by the way. Free the nipple, NHPR.org. Look it up. But by the way, that's not a New Hampshire exclusive thing. No, but we are the ones who started that like whole- Did we? Oh, yeah. I doubt the that. The pictures are amazing. But you know, you're I not, doubt that. It's really, it's really good. And finally- our Toby's captain, face. Our captain. <laughs> I just remember when going uh, topless became legal in New York mm-hmm. and, and at public spaces. And like for two weeks, there were just so many boobs everywhere in Central Park and Jones Beach, like everywhere. And then it just stopped. Like people stopped caring. Yeah. For like two weeks, though, like mm, everybody not, was like, woo. And then it was over. Anyway. Not, not all of us stopped caring. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon deep dive book club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. 
Uh, hi, Rebecca. I'm not a morning person, so we're going to see how this goes. <laughs> it's going to be incredible. And especially because I know that you really enjoyed the thing we're talking about so much. It's going to be incredible. It's going to pump right up. Incredible. Double espresso and beef jerky. So, Kevin, uh, this is obviously Monday's program. Yeah. What is coming up on Thursday's show? On Thursday, we're going to be talking about the Max original miniseries. It's called Love and Death. And the story may be familiar to any true crime fan. Can we really call it an original miniseries? <laughs> <laughs> it's original with a capital O, as yes. in it's called Max Originals, yes. even if it may not be original. original. <laughs> All right. So, Laura, I have a question for you. Yes. Um, why the heck do, do you have a flip phone, A, and why the heck are you using it while we're taping our podcast? <laughs> but more important, why do you have a flip phone? What is going on over there? Um, I'm setting up my deals, Rebecca. She'll <laughs> <laughs> make $2 million in one day. Um, so yeah, so I've gotten back into doing some part-time uh, criminal defense investigating. Yay. And so for that, I just would like to have a designated work phone. I'm also cheap. So I <laughs> went and got the uh, Jitterbug flip phone, which is apparently for the old people. It's that big buttons. Can't you just get like an Android or something for like nothing for free? Yeah, I've, up, <laughs> I've upgraded now because I tried to send one text message and I was so like sucked in by the shiny red flip phone. I was like, it's so nostalgic. It's like a Christmas ornament. I have to have it. It's only $19. I was like, this is amazing. And then she was like, Seven seven two 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 two. Shit, I got to do it again. Yeah, and I was like, it literally took me like fifteen minutes to send a message, and I'm like, I can't do this. I'm gonna kill someone. So it took I was you like, fifteen minutes to send a text message. Does this also work as a phone? It, it does. Sounds yes. like making the call would be fourteen <laughs> minutes shorter than sending that text message. Yeah, the, the PI is trying to take photos with her flip phone, and just like, shit, I got the wrong kind of phone. Yeah, One megapixel. It's just a big red glob. I just have to say, like, I mean, remember when that was all we had to text on and we thought yeah. that was fantastic that yeah. we could text. And I was like, I was having this moment and I was like, oh, dear Lord. When Ken Oof. and I first got together, we got these phones that were, we thought they were the they were matching called, the sidekick. No, sidekick oh, had, yeah. a, had a, yes, remember the thing. I that, never had the sidekick. You probably had the but sidekick. Then the thing flipped up and you could type with your thumbs yeah, and a little yeah. keyboard and it was like incredible. But before that, it was like four four two two two. It was incredible. Yeah. Oh my God. It was crazy. But yeah, so I, I'm having fun, like, you know, doing my thing again. Can't really say much about it, obviously, but um, it's good to be back out there. I'm glad that you're back out there too. We The defense system needs you, Laura Bricker. Yeah. It does. They do. By the way, when Lily was like six years old, when I'd be driving her to school, we'd play a game where I'd we'd throw out I'd throw out a small like a, a short word, and she would ex she'd go out and spell it on the uh, on the keyboard. So it might be cat, and she'd be like two 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 two. Like she remembered like that was her thing. Like all of a sudden she figured out this code. So Laura, you need to talk to six year old Lily, and she'll tell you exactly <laughs> how to send that text message. Target That's is spotted. Funny. I will say Laura's <laughs> becoming a defense investigator again does ruin my dream for Laura's future career. Which is what? Of becoming oh. like a consumer investigative reporter where she does like Hank Philippi Ryan style, like 
you know, busting people, like like looking <laughs> looking into why, you know, the, the version of the lawn chair that I bought just last year, why this year's one isn't as well made as the one I got last year and like busting into the store and confronting oh. the manager kind of thing. Do one of those overhyped television sweeps oh, investigations. You'd be so good at that. The automatic doors at Walmart are dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I got shot in automatic door once when I was a little kid. Oh, it was a Jesus. moment of trauma in my young life. <laughs> It like went like that and closed on me. And I was like, ah, I got a flip flop caught on an escalator at the mall. once. <laughs> uh, escalators are very dangerous, Rebecca. I know. I know. I know Just that saying. now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of um, high stakes, should we talk about the thing we're talking about in this podcast? Let's do it. It's very high stakes. You're thinking of um, ghost herd <laughs> for high stakes. I can tell Toby's real amped. All right. It's let's like I got do up it. for this. Leading off. 46 traders at Chicago's Mercantile Exchange and the Board of Trade were charged with hundreds of counts of racketeering and tax fraud. In the 1980s, brokers at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange were not Ivy League financial types. They were mostly blue-collar workers with on-the-job training in commodities exchanges, and they were making more money than they knew what to do with. You know, I bought an Lincoln LSE. I got an Amex gold card. And I'm making enough money where I can't spend it. Even with the boys, I can't spend it. All that cash caught the interest of the FBI, who suspected financial fraud at the Merck. But after undercover agents spent thousands of hours on the floor losing millions of dollars in taxpayer money, their investigation turned out to be a bad investment. They were down there to expose a big cheating scandal. Did they? I don't think they did. In Brokers, Bagmen, and Moles, host Anjay Nagpal takes listeners into the pits of Chicago's futures exchanges to detail one of the costliest FBI investigations ever. Were authorities really going after the handful of small fish they caught, or did they actually have their sights on some blue chip executives? Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Brokers, Bagmen, and Moles. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So Toby, do you think this podcast does foundationally what it needs to do for us to understand how the alleged scheme works that is being allegedly investigated by the FBI? Um, it, it didn't do it for me. The, this podcast has got some problems, but the biggest one is... I don't think they really do a very good job of explaining how the exchange works. They do this brief thing where they kind of talk about different people and the roles they play, but I, I didn't have any clue as to what's actually going on. Like, what does it mean when you're trading futures and why do futures, why does the cost of them, you know, change over time? The and clip from trading places didn't suffice. Yeah. This, strangely that, that didn't do it for me. So, Without this like basic information, like everything else is just pretty much incomprehensible. I just, I had a ton of questions, which is like, A, how does it work? But then B, like, how are people making, they talk about how people are making so much money, like they're making a million dollars before lunchtime. It's like, how, how are they making millions of dollars? And like, who's getting screwed on these things? And like, how are, are they getting are screwed? Right. Millions of dollars and, and how is this working? And, and they talk about orders and I think bundles might've been the other thing and bundles made up of a bunch of, I, I, the whole thing was completely incomprehensible to me, at least the way they, 
they didn't explain it and then sort of talk about it. And then, so you don't really know from then on, you don't have any kind of context for what happens. You know, you're kind of hearing the ups and downs of different people, but you don't know why any of this stuff is happening. So anyway, I I mean, I think that's, it's almost hard to talk about it in any kind of informed way just because you you don't you don't have this just very very basic information that you need to understand what's happening so everything else just is is just kind of confusing and a bunch of stories without context yeah i think that the facts that they they think they think that they sufficiently explained it but again i, I also remained unclear on a lot of these things right people shout out orders and they lose their voice after a bunch of years but i'm not really getting like you said, like exactly how this works. Do you remember the Crypto Queen podcast? Yes. And that host was like, I explained the technology to my elderly mother. And if she understands it, then I know I got it right. And I feel like they needed to pull out someone's mom or their aunt and try to explain how all this works and how they're making money. So, So how are they like making all this money versus like their employer making money? And when they say they made $2 million before lunch, do they pocket $2 million before lunch or did it were, were these like the orders that they made and they get their percentage off of it? Because I mean, if a former garbage man is making <laughs> millions of dollars before lunch, but not losing any money, then the economy of this is just fucked up. Right. But they, but they also <laughs> casually slip in. Oh, by the way, but nobody actually made $2 million before lunch. They're just exaggerating. They just casually slip that in too. It's well, more like thousands. Say, yeah, put that in context. Right. But you know, they, they never explain how the exchange works. I was relying on sort of my vague memories from Ghost Herd of how futures mm-hmm. work, but I also couldn't remember that super well because that was just beef futures. Laura, what were you going to say? Yeah, no, and I was going to say, like, when you're saying, well, they didn't actually make $2 million. And I think part of the challenge of this podcast is that we're listening to narrators, like people that were there. Mm -hmm. But are they really reliable narrators? Are they just like spinning a good yarn of the good old days down at the Merck? Like, we don't know because their stories aren't really challenged ever or put into like a bigger context. I mean, they're very colorful characters, but I honestly had no idea what was going on half the time. And I didn't really feel like I had a sense of like, what are the stakes here and why should I care about this? Right. And that was my biggest problem. Yeah. I think one of the issues with that, as much as I liked our host, Anjay, I really did. I think one of the biggest issues was he used to work there. So he had a foundational knowledge. Mm-hmm. Right. So the sort of the assumption of like, well, people get it. Like, just like people get stocks. By the way, people do not get stocks. They don't. No. People do not get stocks. People do not get options. People do not get what short selling is. Like, people do not understand it. Like, it's not a thing. Like, there is such a small percentage of people who actually trade stocks. People invest in their retirement accounts. They have, they do not. And that, that's not even like a huge percentage of Americans that do that. But people do not actually touch the markets on their, like, you know, individually ever. Most people don't. So this idea that like, oh, people sort of basically get this, they do not. And um, it is important, but more important than that to me, that that not understanding how the market works. I didn't understand what the crime being investigated was at all. Um, And if it was the FBI didn't either. But there was (laughs) there was this one sort of vague thing where it was like, if you make a mistake on an order, you would ask someone else on the floor to cover it for you. And apparently that wasn't legal, but they never specifically said that's illegal. Right, you're supposed to cover it. Or your firm if is supposed you, yeah, to cover yeah. it. Yeah, it seemed like there was a bunch of 
sort of workarounds that yeah. had sort of culturally emerged from that scene as they as they kind of worked out how things work that you know I guess were technically illegal or whatever, even though they were accepted as practice on the floor. But like you said, like it's not clear who loses out in that situation because it seemed like it was all about you have to make the customer whole. Yeah. And it's just a matter of who's making the customer whole. Like if everybody's kind of agreed that this is the way you're going to do business and the person who you're representing isn't getting screwed, what's the big issue there? But I, I, I again, I get the feeling there's something else going on. Yeah. But it just wasn't clear to me exactly what it was. Like if they were like, propping up soybeans or something like maybe that was a problem but but at least as far as we've gotten that hasn't sort of come up the best i understood was that because traders were also allowed to trade their own for themselves Mm -hmm. that sometimes if they'd make a good deal they'd put it in their own accounts instead of into their customers accounts like that was one thing that i sort of like gleaned maybe that that the when they they have this sort of insider stuff, yes. where they see where the the, right. um, and the, other the thing orders that are I, going. So I'm going to get on that. Other thing I may be gleaned was some skimming off the top situation, like the people do, like when you work at a retail store and you charge someone cash and you don't put the receipt in the register, yeah. kind of thing. Maybe I don't know. Anyway, it's confounding. I guess I the, ripped off two million dollars before lunch. The whole point is, it's confounding, and there's a lot of alcohol involved. <laughs> yeah, like what was the one guy there? What, no, the guy that was such a funny character. T Bun. T Bog. T- yeah, I was going to say J-Dog T-Bog, who was like, bring me a 12-pack of Miller Lite or whatever for, for the interview. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, then they send you the receipt in the thing. You know, every date, 82 Miller Lights. Who the fuck drinks 82? I go, there was five guys. Do the math. It was like fucking 15 apiece. Kevin, what kind of, like, category of podcast would you say this is? I think this is the patented Toby Ball category of get a load of these guys. Hmm. I think we can all agree that their stories in and of themselves are very entertaining and they have the feel of a bunch of guys sitting at a bar, having a bunch of drinks and talking to, among one another about like, basically, do you remember when Stretch did this thing? Or, you know, we bet a lot of money on whether these clerks could run faster than each other. We were just throwing money wherever and $5,000 at lunch. And it's fantastic. But as far as stitching this all together, for some reason, I feel like the podcast is less than the sum of its parts. I feel like for, for you know, for the monetary investment, I don't know if they get as much as they do when you, you join Patreon. Oh. And you go to patreon.com slash partners in crime transition media. transition into our business section. I know it's so good the FBI became suspicious. Yes, they're down and here in our studio taping us right now. They're like, they're like, hey, Kevin, was that a transition to the business section? It was it, Kevin? And you're like, no, it was just a regular deal. No, it's just a regular deal. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna seize all the jewelry. <laughs> Uh, so right now on Patreon, uh, you can listen to the Crime Writers on After Show. One of the things we're going to be talking about is a very terrible incident that happened at my baseball game. Oh, my God. Um, for those who uh, haven't heard me talk about it 70 times in the it spring. Is the, one of the I, worst things I've ever heard. Happen. I umpire baseball, and I'll just say, I've never had a problem with a kid. It's always an adult. And so... Uh, this one was notable, and it wasn't about arguing balls and strikes. The police were almost called. Almost. They were on standby. Okay, we'll just leave it there for everybody to wonder. By the way, if you support us on Patreon at the Let's Do What We Do level, you already heard today's podcast because yep. it comes out early and it's ad-free. 
And you don't have to listen to Lara Breaker talk about hint water, although it's very, very refreshing, right? And you're not uh-huh. hearing this either, probably. Yes. Yeah, you are. Oh, yeah. The no, business no. section is in. People wanted it. Oh, People that's right. People wanted it. They looked at I get the, confused. They Sorry. looked at the podcast futures market, and they said, this is the way to go. And they, we explained how it worked. We and then they said, this is what they wanted. <laughs> we have the latest episode of Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. It was Motor Spirit, uh, which is a, a Zodiac um, a book. And it was the, the guests included Rebecca, Janet Varney, and... Jillian Pensavalli, but now it's time to do new homework for the next deep dive. Toby Ball, tell us what everybody needs to check out from the library. Uh, the book is called Rogues, and it's by Patrick Radden Keefe, mm. who uh, did a lot of good did, stuff. Uh, Say Nothing and uh, Empire of Pain, which is about the Sackler family that we've both done for the deep dive. Both this is a yep. collection of uh, articles that he did. I think they're all in the New Yorker, maybe. I read almost all of them when they when they first came out in the magazine, and it's just been actually great rereading them. I wasn't sure what it was going to be like, but um, he's just such a great writer. He picks great stories. They're just they're very enjoyable and interesting reads. And we've got a great panel. Um, so yeah, definitely check that out. Patrick Redden Keith, though, didn't he? Wasn't he also behind one of our favorite all time podcasts, yeah. Winds oh, yeah. of Change? Yeah, exactly. That guy. Yeah, he's a double threat. I'm sure he's a triple threat. He's, he probably is also a great tap dancer. Yeah, I don't know. You've got to have, yeah. All yeah sorts he's got of stuff good like speed that. on the bases. He's got yeah. an EGOT. <laughs> an EGOT of media. The five-tool player, Toby. This is fantastic. So all that stuff. Remember, when you support us on Patreon, you're not just getting a great value. It's not just something that you're buying. You're really being a sustaining member of this podcast Ooh. because without your help, we can't continue to get up at butt crack a.m. in the morning to make sure we put this podcast out there. Help so, Laura buy a bra. Help her buy a bra. It's so, <laughs> we are so desperate. We used to have a bra sponsor. What the heck? <laughs> See, they went away and I was like, please, Patreon, save us. <laughs> so all that's available at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. And thus ends the business section. Thus ends. Hopefully we explained it so that you understand it. I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out <laughs> right now. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a modern design that lets you go further and do more. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, complemented by an interior built with integrity. The Defender capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, its durability has been tested to the extreme. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And robust cargo capacity means more room for your gear. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. 
Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Okay, so there's something that I would like to talk about about this podcast. Okay. Oh, I know what it is. We we just talked about how things weren't <laughs> explained sufficiently, but there is a device that is used again and again and again <laughs> to attempt to explain things. Why and is that, Laura laughing? And that is the I, use, I knew what she was going to talk about. Oh. But that is the use of film clips. Well, what do you think, Valentine? Well, it sounds to me like you guys are a couple of bookies. <laughs> I told you he'd understand. <laughs> it's a theme you hear over and over again. That traders are just like gamblers. Film oh, clips yeah. are used as exposition in this podcast. So greed, greed is good. So it's like instead of like let's talk about what ADM is, uh, Archer Daniels Midland. So you know I'm going to explain what it is, um, but you know to talk about like a big scandal that happened here, let me just let Matt Damon from the movie The Informant <laughs> explain it for you. Doing it once, you know, with the greed is good scene or whatever, fine. It happens again and again. And again, where I'm like, you guys either had the biggest budget ever <laughs> for licensing clips ever that I've ever heard in any podcast. Or somebody in the credits, like that was their job. Yeah. Was, yeah. You either had like a ridiculous pile of money to invest in clips and you just wanted to use them willy nilly and you didn't feel like writing those things and you just like wanted to show off how much money you had or um, you just thought it was easier. I don't, I've never heard anything like this before. It just reminded me how many great movies there were about finance. <laughs> like those were all quality films. Yeah. <laughs> Laura, what did you think of this as an expositional tool? Yeah, it, it was, didn't work for me. It was distracting and confusing. Um, I was like, what? I mean, the one that was like, I, I thought almost the most unnecessary was like the untouchables. And they're like, and this was a bad neighborhood. <laughs> and oh wait, now this guy that we're talking to he lived in that bad neighborhood. So I was like, was the whole point of that clip to talk about a bad neighborhood? Um, <laughs> Move to that bad neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> and by the way, it's so distracting to hear clips of the untouchables with Sean Connery with his fucking accent. Like, yeah. it's so distracting. That was Robert De Niro. Yeah, it just distracted me. And that was the thing I was like, because I was already like, what's going on? I don't understand this trading thing. I don't really understand anything that's happening, except that clearly I've missed my calling by not getting into selling beef jerky like that's the one thing beef jerky I, did <laughs> I was like i could be making five thousand bucks a week selling beef jerky this kid was selling homemade beef jerky and he had like eight different flavors and shit it was insane who's making a thousand dollars cash a day five grand a week selling fucking beef jerky cash on the floor i mean you're not allowed to have you know food on the floor so whatever whoever he was duking to bring on a duffel bag full of beef jerky on the floor what the fuck was that all about that was one of the, the better parts of the podcast. I it, understood it what they were saying. I didn't understand <laughs> I the beef jerky economy. Well, I understood it because it was like, you weren't supposed to have beef jerky on the floor. Somebody smuggled a duffel bag of beef jerky out there and sold it because it was an opportunity. And also it was really good beef jerky because our host had actually tried some of that beef jerky. I'm like, these are things I understand. <laughs> Toby, would that be your, your go-to if you had to an opportunity to sell food on the floor? You're like, beef let's jerky. have this dehydrated... Meat strips. 
I I guess it I guess it keeps. I don't know. I uh <laughs> like I don't I, I, I wish I understood enough about what was going on to know if that could be like a metaphor and you could have like based the whole podcast around that. It would have might have been more comprehensible. As a person who has scoured movies to get clips that might illustrate something for a podcast, it's really hard to find movie clips that do exactly what you want them to do in the context of a podcast. It's surprising to me, A, like you're 100% right, that that must have been super expensive to get all this movie clip stuff. Like it's just ridiculous, the amount you pay per second. And then to have it be, you know, I I, I don't feel like any of these were like perfect, right? I mean, yeah. it just seemed like they're like, oh, let's get, you know, Let's break things up by having a movie clip, which we'll spend, you know, tens or not hundreds of thousands of dollars on. And, and then it's when it's over, it's like, what was that all about? And then you're on to more stuff you don't really understand. It was strange. You know, in, in the end, when I was when I was done, I was like, how would this like where did the brakes need to be put on and go back and be like, OK, we got to rethink this a little bit. Like, how do we lay this out so that people understand what's happening. And I think that's probably the producers. They've got Mm -hmm. to do that. Somebody from outside that world has got to listen to it and be like, I I don't, I don't get it. I don't, or at least I don't think other people are going to get it unless they're pretty. And like the, you know, I mean, part of the problem might be the producers get pretty ensconced in this too, as they're working on it. I'm sure they're getting stuff explained to them as they're listening to these things. They're like, what, you know, what's this all about? And they get it explained like, Oh, Okay. So maybe even somebody outside to listen to, but they yeah. didn't do it. It sounded to me like this was a podcast made by not podcast people. Well, I, you actually hit it right on the head. That's what it sounded like. Because even he says at the end, this is our first yeah, podcast. Entropy, it's Entropy. <clears throat> yeah. I, they're a they're a film uh, yeah. company. That's and, how it sounded to well, me. Well, I've seen the YouTube trailer and this was shot for video. At some point, we even hear like producers slating like, you know. Take, you know, take one or whatever, and they put that in. So, by the way, I think they disproved my long-held belief that audio from video usually sounds pretty crappy. The audio quality is really good, actually. Um, but, see, what I would do is I would have challenged the producers to take that and then tell this story visually for uh, yeah, as a proof of concept, only because then they could find out where the weaknesses in their story is. And, if they're like, we have to throw up a bunch of B-roll here or animation to explain this because we can't just, in, in a podcast, you can just throw the exposition out and tell. But it also needs a little showing and telling, I think, to really get it. I wonder, guys, if they explained it a little better, more like we were five years old, or we came, one of the, one of the folks that came to the table with a little more knowledge of how this works, would this still be a good podcast? Hmm. Would we still enjoy this? But the problem is podcasts are now proof of concept for film projects. Right, 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 right. right. And so if this is, in fact, a video and if this is, in fact, a a film production company, there's an excellent chance that this podcast is a precursor to a film project around this. Right. But based on the hit podcast, but look at what like I look at the work that like Josh Baker does. Right. His, by the way, his audio also comes from video, which is his audio sounds great. Sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, BBC. Yeah. But when he's doing a documentary. He produces a different product for the audio product than he does for the film product. He writes for the audio and he writes for the film. And it is different kind of writing. 
that you have to do. And I, I, when I listened to this, I was like, audio people are not making this because they don't know how to write for this medium. They don't know how to do exposition for this medium. They're using film clips the way you would use in a visual medium because that's how you would yeah. use film. Like, this doesn't fucking yeah. work in an audio medium. Because yeah, just- you know what? You're right. Because what they're, one of my sort of critiques was I felt like there was a lot of blocks of long talking with these cast of characters. And that would work if you were watching it in a film version. Yeah, maybe. That doesn't, well, it would work better than listening to it. Yeah, because like maybe there'd be recreation of people yeah. and you could be watching it. Yeah. I feel like you would be able like maybe absorb it a little bit better. But, but Rebecca, I mean, it's primarily interviews, right? You know, there, there isn't like a lot of field tape or archival tape that's not movies or some, some new stuff. So yeah. I think that it's still, it still needs the soul of a podcast, a good podcast editor. Yes. Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. I imagine that they imagine this is like a Macmillions kind of story with like Kel of Carlo for characters doing like crazy mm-hmm. things. Like T-Bun is a colorful character. They need the animator yeah. who did uh, a class action park. Yes. Those crazy the, stick the figures. The most interesting, yeah. he was the most interesting character to me because he was the one with the dad who told him like, you're being watched by the feds. The and G. He, and the he, G. I go, dad, the they're from Nebraska. They, they, they got money. They belong to the East Bank Club. They're, he goes, they're G, you stupid cocksucker. And he was also like, run, he was also like uh, doing bookmaking on the floor. Yeah. And he was like, all bookmaking will stop today. And then he was the one who said to his uh, little coworker, listen, I don't like you. <laughs> you know, I don't like you, but you can't do that. That guy's a fat, you know, like he like, you know, I, I love like he was, he was an interesting story. Like it would be interesting to do something through his lens. It would be interesting, frankly, to do a podcast about Archer Daniels Midland. That guy sounded like a, a that demagogue sort of CEO dude was really something to behold. Um, but you know, this definitely wasn't it for a podcast for me. I don't know. I, I certainly don't know. Uh, so, Kevin, what did you think about Anjay? I said earlier that I didn't mind him as a host at all. Actually, yeah, I didn't hate Anjay. I, I, I thought that, you know, there were moments in this where he was very charming, actually, kind of owning up to his deficiencies as an interviewer. And I think I think that bought him a lot of goodwill with the listener. But again, I think everybody sort of takes responsibility here for a podcast that was not very discernible. Because, again, I think all these individual parts on their own are interesting and entertaining in part and funny in parts, but for some reason, I don't know, it just, there's no mortar keeping all these bricks together. Yeah. So Toby, just generally speaking about this exchange, we heard over and over again about how it was built, how it was regulated or not. You know, the story aside, storytelling aside, what do you just sort of think about what you heard about the Merc, how it was built, how it was regulated, how it was led? Um. The whole thing is pretty, it's pretty wild. Like it, it feels as though, and I mean, I think they make the point that it's like, people don't know enough about this. It kind of, it's not like the stock market where everybody knows what's going on. It kind of feels like it was like done in somebody's basement and nobody was really paying attention or something. Cause I, you know, this guy, Leo Malamed, was he the president or the CEO? He was, yeah. he was some, he was like the leader of the mercantile exchange, but then he was also a trader. Yeah. Which, again, it's like that seems like like the second rule you'd probably write up is like if you run this thing, you can't also trade on it. Uh, And yet that happened. I mean, one of the interesting things I thought that I I got out of this because he does kind of get into the history and the culture of the exchange in a way that's I thought 
better explained than how it actually works. And it just seems like it's a place where a culture developed around these people who weren't trained financial people, right? I mean, at least the stories you hear are people coming from all different walks of life, largely kind of blue collar people who were not going to college for, you know, business or finance or whatever. So they, they build the culture of the institution. And a lot of that from the outside, at least seems pretty sketchy. You know, it's people covering each other's debts because they're trying to do favors for people who can later do favors for them. It's the kind of stuff that if you hear it on, on wall street, if the stock market, you'd be like, okay, that is not okay. But it happens uh, on Wall Street. See, to me, there's right. very, there's very little difference. Bernie Madoff founded the NASDAQ and he was trading and he was but doing all But he's in jail. Cr- right. Well, but he almost <laughs> wasn't in jail. He wasn't in jail for a long fucking time. Right. And it wasn't necessarily for that stuff. Correct. But on the face of it, it, it just Leo seems Malama wrong. never went to jail either. Who? You know what I mean? Le- this guy, Leo, never went to jail Yeah, either. I know. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. I mean, that that may be more about the law than it is about anything else. But I think just on a on sort of a gut level. Yeah. Like that's the kind of thing that you're like, that's not like people start making decisions not based on their client's best interest. But, oh, yeah, that guy did me a favor. So I'm going to do him a favor. Right. Right. And that's where that's where stuff starts to break down. Right. But again, the fact that, you know, there's a lot of money going through this. Nobody really understands it. And and I still don't understand it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're just bookies. Like, as we heard Eddie Murphy say in Trading Places, they're just bookies, right? Yeah. Uh, I, and I, I actually, I have to say, the only thing I do like about the Merck is that you don't need to have gone to a fancy business school to work there. No, I actually, sure. I kind of find that kind of democratic. Um, Go to Western Illinois, uh, whatever it was, the guy who got kicked out of Western Illinois. After two co- weeks. Community college. Or university, <laughs> yeah, with his 0.6 GPA. <laughs> uh, you know, I think, Guys, two th- last things that come to my mind here is I feel like they don't 100% confront the influence of organized crime, certainly in the city of Chicago, where, you know, you got to, you know, mobsters are involved in illegal gambling and prostitution the and drug trade. Mayor. Yeah. And they would just look across the street and see billions of dollars being, you know, trading hands and they don't want to wet their beak or they were unable. I don't know. I don't feel like they really uh address that in any sort of meaningful way but they also like Lara said the stories go unchallenged they don't give us the FBI right now i read the press release for this and they promised we're going to hear from the FBI and what are we i don't know six. Uh, six episodes out publicly have we heard from the FBI really i have not heard no, from the no i mean <laughs> we just hear that they can't find anybody from the FBI and that's a problem yeah for those who embrace the impossible the defender 110 is up for the adventure This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a modern design that lets you go further and do more. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, complemented by an interior built with integrity. The Defender capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, its durability has been tested to the extreme. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And robust cargo capacity means more room for your gear. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. 
Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out the new podcast, Brokers, Bagmen, and Moles? Laura Bricker, what do you think about this podcast? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Um, this is a thumbs down. I tried. I really tried. And I, I actually felt kind of relieved when I heard that Toby also didn't understand what was going on because I consider Toby really the uh, brains of the operation here a lot of the hey, times. And if, hey, now. But let's just say Toby sometimes no, likes dry stuff that we don't like. Let's put it that yes, way. Yes. Yes. <laughs> hey, you're out of the football pool, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, no, you know what? There are some interesting, you know, Chicago, interesting place. Chicago mobster era, Chicago's version of a stock exchange. Like these are all things that might be interesting on their own. But I think, unfortunately, the way that this was told totally lost me. I didn't feel like I understood what the stakes uh, were in this. I didn't really understand what the crime was in this. I didn't really understand who the audience was for this. So for me, unfortunately, this is a thumbs down. Toby Ball. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a thumbs down, too. Um like, I certainly feel this way, and I'm sure a lot of people feel this way, where you had a job and there's, like, a lot of characters who are like, wow, this would make a great sitcom or a great podcast or whatever. And this seems like it's a little bit of that, although there was an actual crime and an FBI investigation or whatever. It seems more like it's a bunch of guys talking about work. I don't, I don't know how complicated it is actually doing the work, but the system itself, I guess, is kind of complicated because I didn't understand what the hell was going on. I think the real the real sort of original sin of this podcast that that makes its positive things not mean a whole lot is the fact that they just don't spend enough time explaining how the Chicago Mercantile Exchange works, like how people make money, what different people do, how the deals are made, and then what what crime is alleged to have occurred. Like none of this stuff is clear. So everything else is just kind of stories about work. And there are some wild stories and there's some characters and stuff, but it, it doesn't really add up to a comprehensible story about a crime and an investigation and things like that. So there are parts of it that are entertaining, but as a, as a whole podcast, like this is one of the more confusing listens I've had. So uh, it, it's a thumbs down, unfortunately. Kevin Flynn. I want you to visualize my thumb being up because I'd say that, you know, partway through the first episode, it was up. And the longer I listened, it was deflating like one of those waggy inflatable <laughs> men in front of the, the, car, dealership. the car dealership. It just, it just, it just went down. I know that the producers will probably argue we 
explained how all this works and what the stakes are. And I would just say, well, a lot of us didn't get it. So all four of us, all four of us didn't get it. I imagine Even a lot Toby, of listeners. And he's the brains of the operation. I am the brains of this operation. I consider myself that. Yeah. Yeah. And also it's not told by disinterested parties. Right. So some of the producers and, you know, the people behind it, uh, their background is in being in the pits at the Merck. And so, you know, their views of the FBI's investigation and all, all that other stuff, again, is not completely neutral. It's I mean, again, all this stuff seems really interesting on, on its own, but I don't see how they put together an engaging story that started from beginning to end. And they did shoot all this in vi- on video. I'm sure they're going to be putting together, you know, some kind of documentary that they think is going to be light. And I would just say, go back and think about your storytelling because this wasn't the way to do it. Yeah, I'm thumbs down too. And keep in mind, this is one of those ones I listen to and I'm like, it sounds good. You know what I mean? Like, like the sound design generally was good. The miking was good. The mixing was good. Like... There are clearly audio, quote, people working there. Like, you know, there are audio mixers. There are good producers, like in the audio side working there. It is very clearly not led by an audio, like a, a skilled audio storyteller. So I would say that that is what is the missing piece here. Aside from the fact that I do think either the story is inherently uninteresting or the fact that it was not led by an audio storytelling, like, like leader and editorial leader is what the missing piece was. It's one of those two things because this story was very low stakes. It was, by the way, the thing we didn't discuss, so unbelievably hyper-masculine in a way that also, I just didn't, I also didn't get who it was for, Lar, because I was like, I'm not 100% sure like who the audience is for this. Is it is it finance bros who would be super into this? Is it true crime people who would be super into this? There's like this one lane of podcasts that's about like bros telling stories, dudes telling stories. And I never know who that's for. I'm always like, who is this for? I never get it. Um, and yeah, I just, I couldn't sink my teeth into any of it. And it was, and it was disappointing because I, as I said, it did sound good and I could hear the earnest work of the people working on it. And at the end of every episode, when Anjay would say, this is our first podcast, what do you think? I was like, don't ask me that question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can, I'm glad that you're asking because we're going to tell you, but like, this, you guys need to up your audio game a little bit in terms of the storytelling. So yeah, thumbs down for me for brokers, bagmen, and moles. All right, now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the week. The week. Minnesota's Kai Michelson may have revolutionized intermodal transportation. The prolific inventor has unveiled a motorcycle that runs on beer. Instead of a gas tank, the bike has a keg inside in which the brew is heated up to 300 degrees. The steam generates enough thrust to propel the motorcycle. Michelson has put his own spin on many inventions. They include a high-powered hot dog cooker, a bicycle with wings, and a rocket-powered wheelchair. As for his Michelob-fueled motorcycle, Michelson plans to enter it into some car shows and someday take it out on the street. And why not? The price of gas isn't coming down anytime soon. So panel, this could be the wave of the future. What standard features will come on every beer-powered motorcycle? Laura Bricker, what do you think? 
Well, I'm hoping there's going to be an attachment for like an easy bake oven style device <laughs> for some soft pretzels. Nice. To go with that beer. I mean, that would be really handy. A rocket powered pretzel maker. Tell me about what do you yeah. think? You know, I've got some serious ethical problems with using beer, uh, perfectly good beer <laughs> as a as a fuel. Um, my other question is, how are they heating the keg up to 300 degrees? Like, doesn't that take energy? Like, I, I don't understand how this whole thing works. Um, so Rockets. I would hope it. What? Rockets. Rockets. Yeah. The battery, which is also energy. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So thing. I, yeah, I, I just hope they have a user manual. So I understand a little bit better than this podcast we just reviewed. <laughs> Kevin Flynn. I think it should come with a straw. Uh, and burp breaks. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for us. But Laura Bricker, folks want to reach out to you on social media to explain to you how the Merc works. How can they find you there? They can find me at Laura Bricker. Toby Ball, how can you be found, you brain trust of the podcast? Uh, yeah, send your highly, highly intellectualized tweets to me at Toby Ball NH. Kevin Flynn, what about you, you big dummy? I'm a Kevin P. Flynn. And you can find me also a big dummy at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And please join our incredible community at our incredibly smart Crime Writers On Facebook group. We've got a regular page. Just go there, hit join the group. We'll let you in if you seem nice. Get episodes early and ad free at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll also get the Crime Writers On After Show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderful Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement where we're also making a killing, selling beef jerky. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. He drove, what did he drive his car straight through a the garage, uh, the garage door? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Like that, uh, of all the things that did not happen, that was the did not happen us. Because all you really have to do. did not happen us. <laughs> all, all you have to do is freaking, there's just a chain. You just undo the chain and you lift the door by yourself. Yeah. Uh, it's not that difficult. Oh, good Lord. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost.